This is First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rabkin. First Draft highlights the voices of writers as they discuss their work, their craft, and the literary arts. My guest is Karen Thompson-Walker, author of The Age of Miracles. She has an MFA in creative writing from Columbia University and is a former book editor for Simon & Schuster. She wrote The Age of Miracles in the mornings before going to her editing job. The book is a coming-of-age story focusing on Julia, an 11-year-old girl who lives in suburban San Diego with her parents. They wake one day to discover the Earth's rotation is slowing, resulting in longer days and nights, gravitational shifts, and an environment in disarray. The story focuses on how Julia copes with the extraordinary events around the slowing, while simultaneously dealing with the other, more ordinary issues of growing up. The novel began as a short story, and I asked Karen Thompson-Walker if the story was nagging at her or why she came to it years after writing it and turned it into a novel. You know, it's interesting that you put it that way. I would say that story was definitely not nagging at me because I, I had other sort of loose ideas that I thought I might try to turn into a novel, but I couldn't figure out how to how to do it. And then one day, I just happened to look back over all the short stories in my um, thesis. I did, you know, I turned in like six short stories or eight short stories as my master's thesis. Uh, and I looked back at, at, at all of them, but and this time, for some reason, when I looked back at this this one story, which had been only was only like 14 pages long um, and I had not thought about it. I, I looked at it again and I, it was kind of sudden my sense that it might be something more. Um, you know, it wasn't something I was thinking about for years. I just looked at the story again and I was like, wait a minute, you know, two or three years ago when I wrote this, it, it seemed like a short, a 14 page short story, but suddenly now I can imagine um, that a story like this could work as a, as a novel. And, um, it wasn't it wasn't that I had it all figured out how I could do it or if I could even do it, but it just felt like it was a novel idea. Um, and I could start to see the direction, like all the ways that it could expand beyond what I had done in the fourteen pages. Um, and so so that was it was sort of the sudden in that sense. Um, and then I made a couple of big changes early on um, because actually, in the short story, the earth was speeding up. Um, and it was a one-time event of one hour. But when I looked at it again and decided to try to turn it into a novel, I reversed it and decided to have the earth be slowing down. And I also um, had the feeling that to make it be a continuing story for it to work as a novel, it should be an ongoing catastrophe. So that's why I decided to um, have it be that the rotation of the earth is slowing and continuing to slow rather than just a one-time change. So those were the two changes that I think made it possible to try to turn it into a novel. Um, But I, when I finished the short story years earlier in graduate school, I would have been really surprised if somehow I had found out, could find out that I was later going to turn that little story into a novel. That would have been really shocking. You know, I know some people sort of carry around a story for a lot of years before they uh, are able to to try to turn it into a novel. But this one, this was was, um, a more surprising event. And when you wrote this, you had a full-time job as an editor in New York, so you were getting up in the mornings and writing for about an hour? I feel like sometimes when people ask me about that, I feel compelled to clarify that I luckily didn't have to be at work until like 9.30, so I wasn't waking up at 5 a.m., but 
uh, I didn't wake up earlier than I would have otherwise. The book was really written sort of, you know, one hour at a time at my desk in my little studio before work. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest is Karen Thompson-Walker, author of the novel The Age of Miracles. And what was it like for you to go to this editing job? You probably saw so many books that just never made it into print, and here you were toiling away. I mean, how did that affect your your mood and your, your spirit? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean... When I first started working in book publishing, it was right after I finished the MFA, and I was an editorial assistant. There was a period where it was very discouraging to see just how many how many books there are out there, I mean, and that are coming to publishers, and how many books that have a lot of merit get turned down for one reason or another. Especially for me, what was painful is how many books that are really well-written, you know, um, you like the idea that a that a book that is just beautifully written um, might get turned down by every publisher for reasons outside of the quality of the writing. It, it was really painful to me, especially when I first uh, left my MFA program. So that was it was that was hard, and it was also just to see the way that editors just by necessity have you know they they don't they can't always read or they don't always need to read. The, an entire book, like if, if a book comes to them and they can tell within 50 pages that they're not the right editor for it or that they don't, there's something about it that they they aren't connecting to, then it might be true that they're not the right editor so they turn it down without reading the whole thing, um, which I think is just, you know, which is fine and necessary, but also as a writer to see that could be painful because you imagine you, every book, even if it's not a great book, you know that the person has spent a lot of hours writing it. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was hard at, at first, and then I think I just kind of developed some sort of second skin, thicker skin, um, you know, as as I, I got used to it. I guess is what it is. Um, but I know that I would not tell everything to some of my friends who are writers who didn't work in publishing. I would not tell them every story. You know, I wouldn't tell them about the great book that had that no that didn't sell to any publisher because it's just kind of painful for writers to hear but for me since I was doing it every day I just wanted to to somehow get used to that and not let it get too deep into my head every time it happened um and the other thing is that I think is really important for the way that I that I work is that I did that the fact that I did my writing in the morning so I would wake up fresh and and kind of the furthest I ever was from my book publishing job was you know in the morning when I hadn't hadn't been to work in, in the, the previous afternoon, you know, so it was the, all the all the ideas about um, well, one ideas about sales and marketing that you that are part of life in a publishing house, but also um, the sort of familiarity with all the disappointing things that can happen to books and to writers. All those things were furthest from my head when I first woke up, so I was able to just, I mean, most days just dip into the the writing itself and not worry about those things, and then. Um, you know, sometimes when I got to work, then I would feel more vulnerable to those kinds of discouraging stories that I would that, that would sort of happen every day. Just just seeing another thing that happens that can be hard is seeing really good books that don't sell or that don't get get uh, the review attention that they deserve, even if they are published. There are a lot of ways that being a writer inside the system can be discouraging. I mean, on the other hand, I think it prepared me 
uh, it, I sort of lowered gradually over the years. I lowered my expectations down to almost <laughs> zero for my own book. You know, I was just hoping to find just if somebody will publish it, even if it's just, you know, one editor takes a chance on my book, that would that was going to be exciting enough because I knew how hard it is to just even get that to that point, you know. The overarching event of your book is that the Earth's rotation is slowing, first by 56 minutes, but then the span of a day and a night lengthens and extends, and this change affects gravity and time and agriculture. And this is all told through the eyes of Julia, who is a retrospective narrator. She's an older woman telling the story, but during most of the action and the bulk of the book, she is 11 and 12 years old. Why did you choose a retrospective narrator? I love like a first person retrospective narrator. I mean, I think as a reader, you know, I just that voice of someone, you know, saying this is the way it was for me once is something I find just sort of inherently moving and there's just a built in kind of I mean, often nostalgia, but at least it's just sort of this feel this awareness of the the passage of time and how it changes us and that I'm just oh I just always sort of fall for that kind of voice. Um so the voice came to me early. That that was actually the main thing I took from the short story was that that voice of 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 a woman looking back like that on childhood. Um and I also think it was a way, you know, I was interested in writing about childhood, but but with an adult voice so that that way I could um, zoom in close on the childhood scenes, but I would have access to, you know, the older, wiser, um, more insightful voice of the adult to, to tell the story. Um, so, so anyway, that was, that was, that was, I think those are the things that appealed to me about that kind of voice. Um, the one thing that is, that was, and it's, it's sort of, it feels, I guess it feels natural to me because most of the time when we, just in life, when we're telling stories, you know, we're telling a story about something that happened in the past and there's something very, feels very natural as a storyteller to, to write that way. Um, I mean, I think the one thing that, that the challenge of it was um, that kind of voice obviously implies that the person telling it knows um, knows the ending and has reached some certain point beyond these events that are being described. So then in a book like mine where, you know, the the fate of the earth and the entire human species is, is in a way hanging in the balance, um, it was it was sometimes hard to figure out, you know, how to how to how to use this voice without without taking away from the suspense, you know, because as you read the book you you know that she has at least survived until adulthood. So that was the challenge to try to make sure it still felt suspenseful. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest is Karen Thompson-Walker, author of the novel The Age of Miracles. I know that you've cited two apocalyptic books as influencing you, The Road by Cormac McCarthy and Blindness by Jose Saramago. And I'm wondering about your experience with the age of miracles and people wanting to label your book as apocalyptic or science fiction and what your perspective is on genre and labels. Yeah, actually, yeah, it comes up, it comes up, it has come up kind of a lot, the question of what, where it, 
belongs. And also the other one that people wonder about is, is like some people think it, you know, would appeal to young adults also. So it's, it comes up in a few different directions. I mean, for me, I just wanted to write a book that I would like to read. And, and the books that I like to read most are books where there's a lot of attention has been paid to the sentences, you know, interesting language and stylish language um, and the character and, 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 and all those sort of things we associate maybe fair or not fair with literary fiction. Um, but then but the books that I like best have those qualities, you know, that attention to writing, um, but also a, a gripping story that makes you want to turn the page. Um, so, so yeah, books like um, The Road and Blindness both for me had that quality. You know, I, I really, they, they felt very kind of thought-provoking and do interesting things with language, but also I couldn't wait to turn the page to find out what would happen next. So I was hoping to write a book sort of in that category. Um, I think I don't come out of a kind of science fiction background, even though I I, um, I love books, books and movies that have a sort of a little bit of a science fiction-y premise. Like another of my favorites is Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro also fits into that category. Um, but I've noticed, I think people who are serious science fiction fans probably wouldn't want to classify my book as science fiction because it just it just doesn't quite fit into that, I think, because it's less, um, you know, I wanted the book to feel really realistic, but I didn't, I didn't, I wanted it to be focused on the people and I didn't want to go into um, too much Science, even though I, I, I tried to use just enough, just enough science to make it seem real. And some I've spoken to some science fiction fans who, you know, th- who could imagine a different version of this this premise in which you would really go into a lot of detail of, about the physics of what would happen in this situation. Um, so I don't think not all science fiction readers would feel that way, but I have heard from some who feel that way, um, and some have called it. Um, soft science fiction, which I sort of like that term. Um, but, but yeah, when I wrote the book, I just, I, I was imagining a sort of more general audience. I'm wondering about the title and how you came up with the name of the title, because the major event in the book is the slowing. So it would seem that that might be your instinct as far as naming this. So tell me how you came up with the Age of Miracles. You know, I actually came up with the title early on, like around the time that I, probably a little before I sent it to agents. I mean, I, it occurred to me because I heard it in a Billie Holiday song, I mean, which I, that I had known before. She just uses that phrase, The Age of Miracles. And it just felt like it might be right for my book. Um, I liked the idea that there were, that the word age could have a double meaning, you know, um, as in adolescence or, you know, the age of 12. Um, but also an age, like, you know, an era in the history of the earth. Um, and then I felt the same about miracles, um, even though I definitely would mean miracles in kind of a loose sense, you know, not not in a religious sense or, or any kind of traditional sense. But if you think about a miracle as something that happens that breaks with the rules of reality as we know them, um, I felt like certainly the slowing, the sudden and unexpected slowdown of the rotation of the Earth sort of fit into that. It's sort of an awe-inspiring, even though it has a lot of terrible consequences. It's kind of this awe-inspiring event. And then in another way, because the book really is a lot about growing up and it's about the strangeness of adolescence, um, I thought of 
uh, adolescence as another, you know, age of miracles, you know, a time when when kids change so quickly that it seems almost impossible, you know, both physically and kind of emotionally. It's just this time that is strange and kind of miraculous in its own way. So, but the title was definitely my my idea. Um, and I, when I finished it, I wrote the whole book, almost the whole book, under that title. And then when I finished it and I was thinking, you know, getting ready to send it to publishers, I started to wonder if it was the right title. But I did think of other titles. And the slowing was the main one that I thought of, but I thought that sounded too much like a straight, like a like science fiction or like a thriller, um, in a way that I was afraid might be misleading, since the book is so much is about, is so much about um, you know ordinary people and the characters and about a young girl growing up. So I stuck with the age miracle. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest is Karen Thompson-Walker, author of the novel The Age of Miracles. So one of the things I did ask you was to read a passage from something you wrote. It can be anything you wrote that might have been hard or tricky to write or something that changed or just something that you succeeded at. So I'm just wondering uh, what you chose. The opening, I, I think beginnings and endings in general for me are, in some ways, they're they're fun, but also really hard, and I always end up spending a huge amount of time on them. So this is just the very opening, which um, which I wrote as a short, which, which a piece of it, the very first two lines were in the short story, and then I revised it and revised it over years um, from that time, but it is, it does retain the sort of shape of what it was in the short story in the beginning. We didn't notice right away. We couldn't feel it. We did not sense at first the extra time, bulging from the smooth edge of each day like a tumor blooming beneath skin. We were distracted back then by weather and war. We had no interest in the turning of the earth. Bombs continued to explode on the streets of distant countries. Hurricanes came and went. Summer ended. A new school year began. The clocks ticked as usual. Seconds beaded into minutes. Minutes grew into hours, and there was nothing to suggest that those hours, too, were not still pooling into days, each the same fixed length known to every human being. But there were those who would later claim to have recognized the disaster before the rest of us did. These were the night workers, the graveyard shifters, the stockers of shelves and the loaders of ships, the drivers of big rig trucks, or else they were the bearers of different burdens, the sleepless and the troubled and sick. These people were accustomed to waiting out the night. Through bloodshot eyes, a few did detect a certain persistence of darkness on the mornings leading up to the news, but each mistook it for the private misperception of a lonely, rattled mind. Did you rewrite that a lot to get to this final version? Yeah, it was a lot of rewriting, and I really wanted to find a way to introduce this big idea, that you know, big kind of, hard-to-believe idea, you know, that the rotation of the Earth has suddenly slowed down. I wanted to find a way to introduce it quickly, but also in a way that felt um, convincing. And so somehow being a a little bit indirect and and imagining what they didn't notice and how they didn't, they weren't sure they didn't notice this thing, this change, somehow that felt more convincing to me, you know, like trying to imagine myself as a reader, 
felt like I'd be more convinced than if it was just one day the rotation of the Earth slowed down. Like somehow using a little bit of indirection seemed um, right, but I did really want to introduce the premise kind of immediately. And how about a brief passage from an author that spoke to you or influenced you as a writer? The one, the book that I think, and there's there's a lot of obviously a lot of different influences, but the book that I think influences me most in terms of writing *The Age of Miracles* is probably *The Virgin Suicide* by Jeffrey Eugenides. And actually, I think it might have been the timing of when I read it was sort of crucial to to, to writing my own book um, because. I think around that time that I came back to that story, I also had recently read The Virgin Suicides, and I think reading The Virgin Suicides made me realize how uh, how there can be a way to write a novel that's really about the ordinary goings-on of a community, which is definitely what The Virgin Suicides is about, but also to a certain sense, to a certain extent, that's also what my book is about. But if you if you write it in the context of a of a big strange event suddenly all these ordinary, these parts of ordinary life can kind of shimmer. Um, and I feel like that happens with the Virgin Suicide. It happens, um, you know, it's the story of these teenage sisters who all commit suicide in a short period of time, but it's really, it's so he takes that dramatic event, but has, but by telling that story, it, it really has a way of, yeah, sort of capturing an entire community and all the ordinary but sort of the beautifully ordinary goings-on of that world. And actually, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read the, the opening. And again, he, he does something that I that, that then I tried to do, which is sort of captures immediately in the first paragraph. I mean, his is even more, de- even more efficient. The first paragraph you hear, you get a little sort of sense of what the entire novel is about. Um, and I, like, I just like the efficiency and also... Um, the, the, the sort of lyrical way that he manages to do it. So it both does a lot of work, but it also sounds very nice. <laughs> On the morning the last Lisbon daughter took her turn at suicide, it was Mary this time, and sleeping pills like Therese. The two paramedics arrived at the house, knowing exactly where the knife drawer was and the gas oven and the beam in the basement from which it was possible to tie a rope. They got out of the EMS truck as usual, moving much too slowly, in our opinion. And the fat one said under his breath, this ain't TV, folks. This is how fast we go. He was carrying the heavy respirator and cardiac unit past the bushes that had grown monstrous, and over the erupting lawn came an immaculate 13 months earlier when the trouble began. So that really influenced and helped you with the Age of Miracles. Yeah, and still, even the next thing, I think it sort of helps me. That's the way I love for a book to begin with, where it, where it lays everything out like that. So, you know, the net, the, the book I'm working on now, um, I tried to do a sort of similar. I mean, it's a different, different type of a different, obviously different story, different type of opening. But again, it's something that co- accomplishes hopefully a lot in the very, very beginning. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest is Karen Thompson-Walker, author of the novel The Age of Miracles. Where do you write? When I was writing The Age of Miracles, I wrote almost all of it at, at one desk in my um, studio apartment. But now that I have a more flexible schedule, I it helps me to, to actually change locations, you know, so I, I write all over. I mean, I write at home and even, even at home, I write in different 
locations in my house and in my apartment. I, I lately have actually been doing a lot of writing at, at coffee shops, which is something I used to do like in college, but I got away from it, but now I'm back to it. So right now, my husband and I live in Iowa City because my husband's um, a student in the Iowa Writers Workshop. He's a writer also. Uh, so right now, lately, I've been doing a lot of writing uh, at the coffee shops attached to the Great Prairie Life bookstore. So that's currently one of my favorite spots to write. And what do you do or where do you go to get away from writing? I think uh, walking is a really sort of important part of my life that I've just more and more, like I love to go for long walks. Um, When I lived in New York, um, I would just, you know, on the weekends, my husband and I would go on just these really long walks around Brooklyn. And now I do it in Iowa, although Iowa City is so much smaller, it's harder to get that length. But there's something um, kind of, I think, mysterious and peaceful about uh, going for a walk that is a nice break from writing, but then also sometimes leads me to have, you know, I, I get new ideas and new inspiration um, somehow just from the act of walking and, and sort of observing the world again, you know, in, in a new, like, something about walking by for just the right pace to be noticing interesting things around me in a way that feels good after being so inside my own head, you know, in writing. Who do you show your work to to get feedback first? Um, I first show it to my husband, Casey. Um, he's, um, you know, also a writer and a really great reader. Um, so he, he's definitely my first reader. And then after, after it passes through him, then I, um, show it to a couple of other friends who are writers who from that I know from from graduate school and then once it once I've gotten it you know gotten their feedback and sort of polished it as much as I can then I like to show it to um I mean in the past it would have been my agent next um now this is the first time with this new book the first time I've you know been writing something while I do have an editor so I'll probably show um you know this time around I'll show it to my editor Kate once I get it to sort of as polished as I can, as I and my, and I can get it, you know, with the help of my other first readers, and then I'll show it to her. And how have you dealt with rejection? It's, there's no, like, sort of easy answer to that. I mean, I think rejection is always hard, and also one thing that I knew before, but definitely realized it even more, is that it's never, the rejection never and, you know, like that's always going to be a part of the writer's life because, um, you know, once you publish a book, then, you know, there's, of course, reviews, but also like Amazon readers, you know, there's always going to be someone who doesn't agree with how you've written your book. Um, and I think I think from the time I first entered the city and it got rejected to, um, to now, if I hear something negative about my book, um, you know, online or something, I think it's the answer is always to just go try to stay focused as much as possible on the writing, you know, to just like go back into the project that I'm working on um, and try to get immersed in that. And then that always like lessens the meaning of the rejection um, if, I'm, if I'm immersed in, in work and writing. What is your favorite word? I think the word I like, the, my favorite word in writing and the word I, I like to use the most, I think, uh, is the word bloom, and I like to use it um, figuratively, you know, like a sadness bloomed in the room, 
Um, and it's a word that I, I'm always trying to find, you know, synonyms for it because I want to use it, you know, on every page. And I don't know why, I'm not sure exactly why I use it a lot in the Age of Miracles and I already have had to cut it once from, um, from overuse in my new book. And I think it's just because it's a nice and unexpected way to talk about something changing, you know, it's just a more interesting way to say something change, you know, it, it was, it, it has transformed, but it's just more interesting to use that word bloom. I think there's something, and it kind of connects something so primal to think of something blooming like a flower. Um, so that's a word that, it, especially just as a writer, I tend to be drawn to again and again. You've been listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. My guest was Karen Thompson-Walker, author of the novel The Age of Miracles. You can follow First Draft on Facebook. Just look for First Draft, a dialogue on writing and click like, and on Twitter at First Draft APR. You can email me at firstdraftwriters at gmail.com. The theme music for First Draft was produced and performed by Murph Mahaffey. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. Thanks for listening.